All right, here we go. Hi, I'm Frida Weissel, and for the past 25 weeks on Wednesdays, I've been putting out a podcast episode on various topics that interest me. And this week, I'm recording this little bit to tell you that for this week, I won't because I'm wrapping up season one. We'll put it that way. We'll make it fancy.、Um, wrapping up the first season of. My podcast, in order to take a little bit of time to retool and to get a little bit of a break、uh, from the podcast, and maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, to figure out how to work a damn mic because I have a fancy mic. It's, I mean, relatively speaking, relative to just talking into the iPad. But for the life of me, it sounds like I'm underwater when I listen to the sound. Why it's so hard, I don't know. But I really have to focus on fixing that, figuring that out, because it really is bugging me. But I have gained so much out of doing this podcast, and definitely not in the sense of fame and glory. <laughs> Just.、Uh, It's been very transformative actually, this podcast for me, and I feel like I got a bit onto my feet. I've always felt like I have a hard time finding my niche, my audience, because of how much I have a hole in a specific place. And my Hasidic background and the Hasidic community and the Hasidim who listen to me, they Fascinate me. They are interesting. They are intelligent. They are engaged. I enjoy that. But more than anything, I would say the topic that interests me is society at large, which at this point is undergoing such a profound transformation that it is mind-boggling and fascinating, and often heartbreaking and terrifying, and. And electrifying to watch what's happening. The Hasidic community itself, which has been a microcosm of a society through which I've learned a lot about human nature, how people act in groups, how groups preserve certain dysfunctions or certain benefits, even at a great cost. All of that I learned in the Hasidic community. But the Hasidic community is fairly static. I think static is the word. It's. In this place where it's not changing so much, it's not in a place of extreme transformation. Of course, it's always evolving, but the world at large is really undergoing this great moment, and that's something I've been wanting to focus on. And I started my podcast talking about my Hasidic background, but I feel like I finally got into a place where I can talk to things that genuinely interest me—the things that I read about it. I don't. Really read or speak or socialize in the Hasidic realm, and that's because almost all of academia, almost all of the writing that covers this topic is very superficial. I've never found it to be satisfying. So I started this podcast, sort of trying to find a way to speak to people that I felt wanted to hear. Specific things, and slowly worked my way through issues until I came to a place speaking to our technological age, the transformations that came out of the lockdown, the capitalistic imperatives that are driving them, and 
a great number of ways in which, of realms in which this transformation to a technocratic world or to an increasingly technocratic world is changing everything. It's changing academia, it's changing work, it's changing family, it's changing education, it's changing medicine, it's changing psychiatry, it's changing our understanding of psychology, it's changing how we date, how we love, how we eat. It is affecting every aspect of our lives and every one of them is really interesting and worth examining on its own and that's what I want to do um, hopefully 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 going forward. I am also still interested in the Hasidic community and there is an audience for speaking to that out there and I would consider at some point co-hosting or, or doing with someone a bilingual podcast but at this time I don't know with whom I would do that and um, my priority is really to explore the issues of our biodigital techno-capitalistic future from a tech-critical perspective and, and to look at how the arts, propaganda, entertainment, the media, all of them play a role in shaping our psyche. There's so, so much to explore on this subject. So I'm afraid to make promises, but that's what's in my head. If I had a magical way of making podcasts for sure happen. So I thought something I would say before I wrap up, since my podcast has been doing much better lately, if you're new to my work, I thought I'd introduce you to some of the episodes that I've done that I feel were foundational to my evolution, my the way in which I've come to see the world. And because some of my episodes, it's, <laughs> it's hit or miss. Some of them I worked a lot on and thought about carefully and others like this one, I just rambled in, into the mic for a little bit of time and put it up there, just trying to stay on the on the clock but I do want to mention a few of them if you're interested in checking out my older podcasts because I think some of them are quite there were a lot of work and I think they're quite good first of all my first episode I talk about my life story Eh, I'm tired of my life story but just just so you know it's there and there's a mistake I made in pronouncing a Hasidic Yiddish word, whatever, which isn't a word, and everyone let me know. Okay. Uh, in number two, I talked about why Hasidim don't do lockdown or masks, and that was an episode focused on safetyism, fear in a more ancient concept, a religious concept where fear was channeled in sort of a healthier way, and how fear has now become a secular lifestyle that is causing us to sort of incorporate it in every aspect of life and how the Hasidic community doesn't do that yet and why it's caused them to take a very different approach to the lockdown. And I talk about the way their children are in the streets. There's a very old school 
uh, way of raising children there. And um, it's something that I think is fascinating. It, it continues to fascinate me. Episode number four, The Cult of Logic, was really a turning point for me because it was when I was starting to understand that a modern age, an age that is limited to a language of science, meaning nothing exists if you cannot categorize it with a language of science and furthermore often is limited to how algorithms can box things, that such an age is one in which we stop having the language to differentiate between the human and the non-human and the inanimate. And this has been really, really a big turning point because it made me aware of how much we speak of ourselves as machines and how detrimental it is, how much out of that comes a course of action, a way of relating to ourselves and to others that is disregarding our psychological needs because machines don't have psychological needs. And this was the start of where I started to think of the technological mindset as a limited mindset, a limiting mindset, and one in which we set ourselves up to living in a very narrow prism that is only limited to the language that machines data, the formulas for uh, scores can be um, calculated. And I talked about the Frankfurt School and their criticism of modern culture. And here is where I really, really started to see the technocracy as my primary interest and, and object of criticism. Um, in podcast number six, I talked about the show Unorthodox, but really I talked about how those who leave the Hasidic community are exploited if they can present well. They are used to tell a story about successful acclimation to modern society. And this is relevant. This is something we see everywhere. And all people who come from what is considered in our current parlance underprivileged backgrounds, there are a select few who are held up as success stories. And I speak about the problems, the devastation this creates, but also how this serves capitalism's interest. And I think I think this is a very important thing to to engage with and to consider it's part of how we make our myths, which I think our technocratic society would never be as successful as it seems to be heading towards if we hadn't had a very sophisticated media apparatus creating our myths. So that's episode number six, uh, Netflix part two. And for episode number seven, I did conformity to individuality, where I talked about how people are pressured to conform if enough people do the same thing. I talked about the importance of creating a culture of diversity, because if a critical point is reached, then 
it becomes very hard to stand out. And I also discussed something that's bothered me a lot, that people don't seem to realize how much they are a creature of their environment and how much they need to be cognizant of the social climate because they are not free. They are dependent on their environment. And if their environment becomes too conformist, then it becomes very, very hard to be yourself. And while at first this might seem like not a big deal, the effects this has cumulatively on the psyche is really intense. And I have gotten so worked up so many times when people have responded to me when I talk about conformity and they claim that they're individualistic. And I completely disagree with that. And I try to go into some of that in podcast, that podcast number seven. In podcast number nine, Your Attention is Their Profit, I talk about the attention economy. And the attention economy is something that's bothered me uh, way, way, way longer. Um, Probably I read Amusing Ourselves to Death in 2016. And when I read it, it wasn't an epiphany. It was like, yes, yes, that's what I was sort of trying to think. Um, So when I talk about the attention economy, I tried to go from the angle of the economic. Why do we need so many ads? What happened that ads are, they don't actually buy anything. What what is driving this culture of nonstop harvesting our attention? And the conclusion I come to is that a globalized economy, the larger the economy gets, the more people are fighting for attention and the more important it becomes for everyone to consolidate markets. There's no room for many players. There's only a select few. You have to concentrate the choice. And because of the need to concentrate choice to a manageable small number of options, advertisement allows for everyone to be neck to neck. And then it creates a culture of harvesting your attention for economic benefits. And it's absolutely devastating to our intellectual lives it is absolutely devastating to economies and it is terribly devastating to local communities because every mom and pop shop slowly gets taken over by these big conglomerates and this is something that i feel very strongly about and i think i put in a lot of work into it so uh if this interests you then i have number 10 on transhumanism, this is really where I realized what I've come to believe, that we're heading towards a transhumanist future. And by that, I mean we're heading towards a world that's designed with a belief that humans are like machines and that minds are like brains, are like computers. And... I'm still shocked from looking at the material to have realized that we talk about our minds quite simply as if they are machines all the time. And that there are a lot of so-called experts, especially in these transhumanist spheres, who quite blatantly, clearly, explicitly claim that humans are machines. And that... As a result of this mindset, which I think is also derived in part from the Hollywood depictions of what a machine 
AI organism is, which is often a human actor playing a machine. This gives people the false impression that machines and humans are more like each other. And here's where I came to really turn this corner in thinking tech, the tech mindset, all of the glossy, exciting parts of tech, as much as I like part of it, we have to become very strong critics of it because otherwise it will force us to become machines. Its ideology, its driving philosophy is that humans are analogous and that's ultimately where we'll get to. And my conclusion, which I don't think I came in a snap, but that's what's been cooking in my head is that we have to detect society. We have to really think about resisting tech. Definitely so long as tech can just advertise certain benefits while behind the scenes, again, pushing us in these dehumanized, psychologically unsound directions based on formulas, algorithms, and misunderstandings of what human life truly is. I also really, really put some of my strongest views in Where Are Their Feelings, podcast number 12, where I talked about empathy. I talked about why I don't wear masks, and I didn't give the medical reasons. I gave the reasons related to the psychology of it, which masks are dehumanizing, they're a way of subjugating those who don't want to wear it. And mostly, I think something that's really, really important, and I think about a lot since I come from a, a background where you're made to wear things that you might not want to wear, is if there's empathy that doesn't go both ways, then there is a really big red flag. And there is an absence of awareness about the experiences, the feelings of those who are on one side of this exchange. And to call people selfish while not acknowledging or understanding what their experiences are is a very unhealthy dynamic. And it's why I refuse to participate in it. One of the things I think about a lot that I didn't get to talk about in my podcast is what psychopaths are. And I'm actually reading a book on panerology. Panerology, completely new uh, field to me, which is the study of evil. And it's essentially the science of sociopathy, psychopathy. And I know we love to throw words around, and I, I think it's something that I really should have worked out in one of my podcasts. What does it mean when we talk about psychopaths and why is it important to discuss it? But it is related to the subject of empathy because there is a class of people who are not reciprocal in their requests from others. And they will demand, put on this, do this, inject that, and, you know, they will 
completely invalidate the concerns and feelings of those who don't cooperate because they live in a world that is distorted. They live in a world that is broken because of their own traumatic or whatever their issues were. And they are therefore unable to grasp like a child anyone's needs but their own and they are trying to impose their own worldview on others only my needs matter my needs are important i moralize my needs and you should be also participating in this worldview and this is so relevant to where we are at as a culture because I think we've lost the vocabulary to express this, to differentiate between people who want you to make sacrifices and those who are psychopathic, like those who are genuinely community-minded and those who are just vultures, those who are genuinely two-way street empathetic with, of course, we're all human, their own flaws, but they're genuinely there to to some degree try to negotiate versus those that are blatantly opportunistic and the our lack of understanding has allowed things like what i talked about in that episode to go down where a hasidic family is completely abused because their child doesn't want to wear a mask or took off the mask i don't remember exactly what happened for episode 13 and 14 i talked about political boxes. These podcasts didn't do very well and I worked extremely hard on them, which is a sign in itself, but it actually was extremely, extremely helpful. I talked about what I mean by neoliberalism. I talked about capitalism. I talked about why I have a problem with libertarianism, which is something that we run into a lot in the lockdown critical movements, if we can call it that. I talked about conservatism and the belief that evil or good or people are born in specific roles. And I talked about leftism and and the Marxist analysis of the world, which is an understanding of situations driving and economic imperatives driving things. It's not perfect. And the longer doing it has really helped me see what I did wrong. Everything I read afterwards was like, ah, aha, and made me feel like I shouldn't have (laughs) done it. But it was actually very good at helping me crystallize more. And most importantly, it was something that I felt I needed to work through in order to be able to, on that foundation, speak to certain issues that are traditionally considered left-right, which I think are lines that are now so completely blurred. Another favorite of mine is uh, number 18, where I talked about Idiocracy versus The Machine Stops. Idiocracy is a film that makes fun of these ridiculous uh, uh, redneck-type people and how stupid they are, and The Machine Stops is a dystopian fiction. And... I talked about how both of these portray people have become extremely dumbed down, but in very different ways. And I, I really liked it. I thought it was, it was a very interesting subject and a, and it was just an interesting thought experiment. 
I also would say number 22, uh, Propaganda of World War II. I read quite a few bits from two very good books. One of them was They Thought They Were Free and the other was Defying Hitler. And that was those were very good excerpts. I mostly just read a lot from it. I didn't do much. Um, I didn't do too much talking. I really, really wanted to do a follow-up of it and discuss the book um, Diary of a Man in Despair, which I highlighted most. It's an excellent, excellent read and heartbreaking and eye-opening. And I read it a few times, but I didn't get around to do that. Uh, maybe someday. Definitely recommend you read it. That's about it. Uh, I did four interviews, which I loved, and I am. <laughs> it was such a. It was such a fun thing. It was really great. I see how much you feed off the energy of others. I did one with my son Seth about life in the digital school. I did one with Shannon Kuta Kelly, who works with me and. She's been between Nebraska and Ireland during the pandemic, which had had very, very different restrictions. And it's been an interesting contrast. I did number 24 with Alex Klauschaufer, who is an an essayist. And she talked to me about moving out of England because of its harsh restrictions and starting over in Portugal. That was that was my conversation with Alex. And then the next week I did a conversation with Andy Lipson, a teacher in California, a leftist, a Marxist, who um, talked about trying to organize and getting in trouble with his union and so many things, so many things. I love interviews. <laughs> they do all the work. <laughs> um, and it's, it's very interesting. So um, that's about it. Thanks for sticking with me. It has been tremendously meaningful to me. And if you would like to support my work, I would be extremely, extremely grateful. Um, You can be a subscriber, I think, through Anchor, which publishes my podcasts. You can uh, do Patreon. I have a video tour, which I walk around Williamsburg and I show different cultural points, which need some love. So if you want to get that, um, just keep listening. And, and if you know someone who might be able to help me figure out how to use a freaking mic, <laughs> also get in touch. Um, all right. Adios. Be well.